Hey, folks, Tom and Keith just want to take a quick moment to say thank you to listen to The Front Row and listen to our podcast. Very much so. Uh, we appreciate uh, all the downloads and the uploads and the sideloads and all the other stuff you're doing. Exactly. That's uh, Mr. Technology over there, Keith Jones. I do want to let you know that uh, you're able to listen to this podcast commercial-free. Thanks to uh, the good folks at Seminole Boosters and uh, specifically the Dunlap Champions Club. You're familiar with the, the Dunlap Champions Club because it opened last year. Uh, I have been in it plenty of times, uh, not on game day because I have other duties uh, as assigned, if you will, on game day. But if you've been there, you can you can uh, share. Obviously, it's a terrific facility. And if you haven't been there, you've got an opportunity to, for the spring game. 50 bucks, get you a seat in the Champions Club, Dunlap Champions Club. It'll get you all the soft drinks and food you can eat. You'll get an opportunity to see if it's something you want to maybe invest in as in the regular season comes but a, a neat little deal that boosters are doing for the spring game exactly right so take advantage you can visit seminoles.com backslash tickets or call 850-583-9066 line one to buy your tickets to the spring game and schedule a private tour now without further ado this week's front row broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is the front row with tom block and keith jones brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu here's tom and keith Everybody and welcome to the front row. Tom and Keith with you, and we'll start in mourning just to continue the theme. And I'll admit, Keith, that I'm very disappointed that I'm seeing you face to face right now because you should be in California. Uh, was hoping to be. Uh, I guess the two words that describe my being here is "dang it," <laughs> and then disappointment. <laughs> and the, then disappointment. Those are the two we're going to share on this show. Yeah, anyway. yeah, and then disappointment. We've got a great show lined up, despite the fact that we will have to rehash the end of the men's basketball season. But uh, Myron Roll is going to join us uh, a little bit later on. Big news making the rounds nationally and internationally that you certainly, if you listen to this show, have seen. And that is that he matched with Massachusetts uh, General Hospital and Harvard for his neurosurgery residency. And I can't even spell neurosurgery. That when Myron comes on, maybe we'll put you on the spot, or both of us on the no, spot, and see no, if we can. Let's okay. don't do that. Okay. Anyway, he's going to join us later on. Tim Linnefelder, Seminoles dot com insider, will join us. Uh, there's been some obviously consternation, disappointment on the men's basketball and baseball side. On the women's side, the basketball team is through to the Sweet Sixteen. The softball team is still number one. The women's track team just came out preseason number ten for the outdoor season. So there is uh, some good stuff going on, but of course, human nature being human nature, we always start with the bad. Now. We're, what are we, 96 hours removed from the debacle that was, give or take. And it's been hashed and rehashed pretty significantly, I think, the by Jeff Cameron and Tom and by Seminole Headlines and by all the media that cover Florida State. So I don't know what new we can add to the X's and O's portion of that conversation. But I will ask just open-ended for your thoughts as somebody that follows and covers the team and that was there on Saturday night. Disappointment. And, and the biggest disappointment is that uh, when the kids showed up on the court to begin the game, there was no energy and there was no enthusiasm. And you and I have talked about this over the years, uh, our friendship going back 20 years now. Everybody wants to blame Leonard because the team wasn't playing, it wasn't jacked up, and wasn't fired up, and wasn't ready to go. It's not the coach's job to motivate the kids at game time. It's the upperclassmen's job. It's the seniors and the juniors, and that's where the dis disappointment comes from. I know Ojo is not that big a vocal leader. He doesn't play that many minutes. Uh, same for Jarquez. X kind of fits into that role. He's a quiet guy. But, but the bottom line is the one thing you can control in athletics is your energy and your enthusiasm. Whether you're having an off night shooting the basketball, whether your quarterback is overthrowing everything, whether your pitcher can't find the plate, you can control your effort and your enthusiasm. And that's what I was most disappointed in. We might still have lost the game. Xavier is a very good basketball team. And, and the best thing, in my opinion, that could happen would be for Xavier to upset Arizona, make that run. It's like Syracuse last year. Syracuse was so bad during the regular season, they get in the tournament to make the Final Four. The best thing that could happen for Florida State is for Xavier to have an extended run into the tournament. Don't know that that will happen, but it doesn't take away from the disappointment that these kids had an opportunity 
and they let it get away from them. I think the question that comes up, though, when you talk about effort, was it a lack of effort or was it a lack of understanding or a lack of confidence to go out and play the way they because I don't see it as a lack of effort, i.e., I'm going to dog it, we can coast to get through this. I see it more as uh, maybe they're not 100% convinced what they're supposed to do, what their assignment is, or they just don't have the confidence, or they don't have the leader. You're talking from them in the offensive set. I'm starting in the defensive set. You don't let consecutive backdoor cuts happen against a Leonard Hamilton defense if you're paying attention. I'm saying this team needs to come from defense first and let that lead the offense. What you're saying is when they got into the half court, they didn't know like, look like they knew what they were doing against the zone. I'm coming at it from the other end. It starts with defense, and that's the way this team and this program is going to have to focus if they want to get better. Yeah, and I think maybe I'm not communicating it well. I, I am in agreement with what you're saying. I just when we throw out the effort term. I think that can be confused with dogging. And I mean, we had the, the football thing last year, guys not trying. I don't see it as that kind of mentality necessarily. But I do agree that it starts with defense. And matter of fact, my reaction to that game the other night had nothing to do with offense because they had plenty of open shots. And if they hit a few open shots, it doesn't get quite out of hand. And but, Xavier but misses, if Xavier misses a few, defensively, get, they couldn't get stops. No question. But th- this has been been hashed and rehashed. I think uh, the Seminole Headlines guys did a, did a nice job on it. And, and Ira brought out some really good points about Xavier and all the sets that they run and how, you know, leading up, five days leading up, well, preparing, you've, got, you've got a good chance to prepare 48 hours, not as much. Preparing but, for Xavier is like preparing for Georgia Tech's football's offense they just do a lot of things that nobody else does and there's just no way you can adequately prepare for it in a limited amount of time but you can still bring energy and enthusiasm on the defensive end of the court get some deflections get some steals get into transition and a 20 something point game becomes a five or seven point game and you got a chance let's go beyond the x's and o's and sort of the specifics of saturday night because it has been talked about a lot my takeaway from this season or the thing that i hope does not disappear and i'm not talking about the players we can discuss what we think they're going to do there was actually an environment at the tucker center this year and it for years this has been a chicken and an egg conversation people don't want to come to the civic center because they get disappointed by the result when they get there or the game wasn't entertaining well if and so they wait for the team to win well the team would win more if there was a crowd now if you think back and i actually looked at some of this my my, the bigger point cutting to the quick is just that it would be nice to have that kind of environment going forward because the team will win one to two games more per year if you get that kind of crowd well why is that significant because if you look at leonard's 15 years there's probably four to six years where FSU missed the turn, maybe three to five where they missed the tournament by probably two games. And if you win two more home games and your record in the ACC is 10 and eight instead of eight and 10 or 11 and seven instead of nine and nine, then you're in the tournament more frequently and you have more at bats. And so it doesn't forgive what happened against Xavier. But if we could sit here right now, confident that the team was probably going to make the tournament again next year or two out of every three years, we might come to terms with it a little easier understanding that with more at bats you're going to get a better opportunity to to advance beyond just the first round regardless of the offense or the defense regardless of the intensity or the energy the biggest negative florida state had going into the ncaa tournament this year is that no one on that team had ever been there before right and what you're saying is exactly right. If you go back to when Florida State went to three or four or five consecutive years of NCAA tournaments, that builds upon itself. And and, and you're exactly right. Chicken and the egg, you know, the fans in the stands versus the product on the court. What needs to happen moving forward is building upon that renewed and that reinvigorated enthusiasm, making the Tucker Center a difficult place to play, continuing that in the 17-18 campaign, and then building upon that as you get in, hopefully, to the NCAA tournament again next year. Here, here's two examples to back it up. Now, you remember this. This was before Leonard made the tournament, but in 05 and 06, you had Al Thornton and Alexander Johnson. You finished twenty and ten. Now that probably counts the NIT. You were fourteen and three at home and nine and seven against the ACC. Didn't make the NCAA tournament. You lost a home game that year, eighty-one to eighty to North Carolina and eighty-four to eighty in overtime to Miami. 
you change those two results, that team's a tournament team. And you look at home crowd could change those two. Which you look is at your point. Oh six and oh seven, which was Al Thornton and Tony Douglas. You went sixteen and three at home, seven and nine against the ACC. But you lost to Clemson sixty eight sixty six and to Boston College sixty eight sixty seven. So you're talking one basket in each of those games with a better crowd. Your record is nine and seven against the ACC, and that team's in the tournament. Well, coulda, woulda, shoulda. I understand, but. Now, if, if some of those go Florida State's way, you're looking back at Leonard's 15 years, and he's been in the tournament eight or nine times instead of five times, which is, I think, more realistic to what the fan base is expecting. I don't know many people who think FSU should go every year. I do think that two out of three years or, or three out of five years is realistic for this program. And, and I think if that were to happen, you would see a change in everyone's overall mentality. We've got a chance. We've gone one year now. Can they build upon it? We're going to bring our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld into the conversation, and uh, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get into what the future is for these guys. I mean, the short answer is we'll probably we, all, we expect the big three to all be gone, but we'll, we'll dive into that with Tim. I do want to mention uh, that the Tallahassee uh, wine mixer event is this weekend from, well, I don't know that there is an end time. I think there's a start time <laughs> out on Madison Street. I think it starts at 4 o'clock. They're basically closing it down. This is where the wine dunk tank is. By the way, I... I think if I followed correctly on social media, it's not actually a conventional dunk tank that you fall in that's filled with water that would be 12,000 gallons of wine. It's actually a similar device, and if you hit it, it's like a glass of wine above your head that tilts and pours on your head. So from an economic Much more economical. Yes, it's much more economical. Anyway, uh, that's... Uh, uh, Centrale Township, Madison Social, get down. I think the blocks may actually attend this week. Well, and if you read the local, which, which if will you make read it the a Lowe's, true block party. If you read the oh, very well played. Yes. If you read the local newspaper, you'll see one Mr. Matt Thompson was in the paper today talking about glasses and and Pilsner and things of that nature. You ought to check that out as well. I will do so. When we continue, maybe in the break, I'll do that, and then we'll get Tim Linnefelt on the horn right after that as we roll on in the front row. Stay with us. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. This is the part of the program where normally you would hear some Pearl Jam. Maybe you'd break out some Frank Sinatra. A time or two, it was the Beastie Boys. Space Jam. But we're still in mourning after what happened last week. So as our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, joins us, we have no walk-up music. He joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, that kind of feels like it just sets the tone for the last week around here. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I thought you might play taps for me or something. I didn't know. But, well, you're not yeah. gone yet. You're not. You're not. We're not putting you in the ground, dude. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, Keith and I talked all basketball in the first segment, and it's been uh, written about, tweeted about, posted about, cussed about, cursed cursed it's been it's been hashed and rehashed to use a phrase that i had in the first so i don't know that we need to go down the x's and o's uh road too much but uh i'll get i'll give you the same opportunity i gave keith which is sort of you have the floor for an opening statement as we uh prepare to wrap up on uh, the it's, a 60, it's a 60 minute show <laughs> uh well i don't know that i could cover much ground that you guys probably haven't already just that that was a tough way to end what had been a really fun and exciting season uh, and I think that that's, you know, I'm sure you saw a lot of frustration, Tom, on your, your Twitter feed. And Keith, if you were on Twitter, you would have seen it. Uh, and I know that I did. And, and, and I get it because you knew what this team was capable of doing. You saw them do it in, in January and, and into February to a degree. And so for it to end the way that it did, I, I think kind of stung worse than maybe it would have, uh, you know, had they not had the same type of season that they did leading up to it. You know, the one thing I thought was interesting, and, and, and we can leave it here, uh, is that uh, I looked up and I somebody mentioned this stat to me. So I actually went and looked it up this morning. Uh, that Chris Mack, the coach of Xavier, has been the coach there since 2009. This is his seventh season there, uh, and they've made the Sweet 16 five out of those seven years. And somebody made the point that if they can win their first round game, they're just about perfect 
in their second round game. They've only lost that once, and that was to Wisconsin last year. And, and part of the reasoning is that the way they play uh, seemingly is, is pretty difficult to prepare for uh, on a short turnaround. And uh, and so, and if, if you're not used to seeing them like some of those teams are in the Big East, and so uh, I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm not saying anything other than just thought it was kind of interesting that if, if they can get into that second round game more often than not, they seem to win it. Well, back to your point about Keith not being on Twitter, the, the handwritten... Why do we have to bring that up? The handwritten <laughs> notes are still arriving in his mailbox, so in two weeks from now, we'll read those and we'll share what the reaction was. I had three of them underneath the windshield wiper of my truck. Now, let me... let me Hobson ask, Chevrolet truck, by the way. Let me ask you this, Tim, and uh, that's a good point, and Ira has done a nice job to bring that out, too, about Xavier. And In other words, if they win their... If they win in the regional semis, uh, go ahead and, and bet them in the regional finals that they're going to get to the final four, is what you're saying, based on the style they play but going back to fsu and especially with hindsight being 2020 in light of the fact that the acc stunk in this tournament fsu was 18 and 2 on january 21st and they went six and five the rest of the regular season eight and seven the rest of the season but just using the six and five as the barometer perhaps we should have known that maybe they weren't quite as good as that 18 and 2 record indicated what do you think yeah uh, well uh, you know you run into questions you say not as good well i mean they were good then uh and so <laughs> at, at the 18 and 2 mark so the question i guess then is, is what happened I, I don't know that you can discredit you know what, what they did when they won the, uh, the the five games against the six ranked teams uh the question to me is you know did they run out of out of steam did they run out of gas did they uh did the mindset change did, did the mentality change once that they once they got to the sort of let me at the top of the mountain but when you get to be number six in the country uh you're looking down at a lot of teams beneath you did they lose an edge that maybe they weren't able to get back uh and that's what i think maybe people thought they saw in a lot of those games down the stretch where it wasn't that they were losing it was that they just didn't look very energized very intense when playing some of those games especially in the first halves and that's the kind of stuff again as a fan that is inexplicable so I wonder if there was some degree of that. And, you know, it's hard in that once you, and I'm not saying they did, but if you lose your mental edge, it can be really hard to get it back, even if you go to the NCAA tournament and get into those games. So uh, that's one theory. Uh, I don't know. Again, I, I think when, that, when the team was rolling and then playing up to its potential, it was really, really good. Uh, the only unfortunate thing for them is that when we saw that much more uh, by, by mid-January than we did down the stretch of the season and, and figuring out the answer to, to, to why that was, uh, you know, one, I think we'll dissect it a lot. And, and two, I think the coaching staff will probably spend some time figuring it out too. If they haven't already, I'm sure they've already, you know, been thinking about it and had thought about it long before the tournament began. But, uh, but for one reason or another, it just, it just seemed like two different teams and there was almost sort of a dividing line from mid January forward. All right. Well, the bottom line is they were 26 and nine. Uh, they made it to the second game of the NCAA tournament, made it back into the tournament. Now, let's talk about 17-18. Who's going to be here? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I think that you can you can definitely count, in my opinion, on a core of, uh, of Terrence Mann, Brian Angola, Rodos, uh, C.J. Walker, and Trent Forrest. I think, uh, you, you'll, you'll see those guys a lot. And the, and the big question, obviously, I'm not about to tap dance around, it is, is Jonathan Isaac, Dwayne Bacon, and Xavier Rattan Mays. Uh, and you know, honestly, I can I can think of a case for all of them to stay, and and I can think of a case for all of them to go. Honestly, obviously, Jonathan Isaac is projected by most as a lottery pick in the NBA draft, and and if he is, then it would be hard for him, I think, to turn that down. But you know, Keith, you you talked to Jonathan, um, Tom. I don't know if you have or not. He's he's not a typical superstar basketball player. He's a pretty thoughtful kid, pretty quiet. Uh, every indicator I've gotten is that, that he really likes being here, um, likes being in the locker room at Florida State, and likes the guys that he plays with. Uh, and I also think that, and again, believe me, I'm not here trying to, to convince everybody that Jonathan Isaac is going to stay, but I do think he probably would have the most to gain by staying because I think he's going to be he'll be a lottery pick regardless. But if you were to somehow stay, put on uh, you know maybe 15, 20 pounds of muscle, and improve his game. Uh, he could be, you know, a, a potentially a top five, number one overall pick uh, if he were to do that. I don't know that that Dwayne Bacon and Xavier Cam Mays can do a, a whole lot more to to improve their their stock with another year in college. And part of that is the fact that they've been here for four and two years. So, uh, you know, maybe we, we 
you know, scouts and, and whoever else has seen what they can do in college. So we'll see. Again, I think that you know the you wouldn't feel comfortable projecting any of those three guys to be back, but there's a case to be made uh, for all of them. This time last year, I don't, I'm not sure I expected Dwayne Bacon to come back either. So stranger things have happened. Well, you know, I'll weigh in, Tommy, and you can express your opinion as well. Well, I'll start with X. You know, he's finished his fourth year in the program. Remember, he set out the first. Um, I think he's I think he's ready to move on. I think uh, though his relationship with Leonard is much better. That um, you know he's getting he's been tired of being hollered at, and Leonard's tired of hollering at him. And uh, and I think while it may not be an NBA, I think he's got a great future somewhere overseas. I think with uh, with uh, Bacon, uh, he 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 looked at it last year, advised that he had to work on his jump shot. He did that. It faltered a little bit toward the tail end of the season, but he was much improved uh, from uh, both three land, and then we saw him hitting those 15-, 16-foot turnarounds, uh, even against Xavier. Uh, I think he's a second-round pick. I think he goes, and I think Jonathan just can't pass up uh, the fact that, that you know, injury, uh, you know, what's he going to work on? Well, he, he, he may need to get somewhere where he's got a coach and, a, and or a system that can advance him more than Leonard's system will advance him offensively. And and as a result, the money's probably just going to be too good. I think you lose all three of them. Well, and that's probably where the Vegas money would be. I agree on XRM. On Bacon, and the NBA guys have said that he's pretty – I think it was Chad Ford said he's pretty firmly in the second round. Well, that means a non-guaranteed contract. Uh, if he now he's gonna even if he even if the worst case for Dwayne was he had to play in Europe he's gonna go make some good money to do it but uh, he could talk to Malik certainly because those two were tight and Malik got a guaranteed contract but Malik has spent an awful lot of time in the developmental league uh, his, and he, his and he new could, nickname is Yo Yo he could share with Dwayne what that's like <laughs> compared to developing for another year at FSU and I would percentage wise he's five percentage points better this year than last on threes but he finished he missed his last 16 three-pointers this year and i don't know that nba folks think that that outside shot is much better than what it was last year now 18 feet and in he's great but he's a he's a six five guy in a big man's league i'm not sure what the market is for that i don't know yeah no i i, I agree completely and when i when i was saying earlier that uh, you can make a case for him to stay uh, you, you just laid it out. I think that's it. Now, the only other side of that is outside of improving that shot, and, and I mean solidly improving it to the point where you know, you're know you not debating how much it got better. I don't know how much more he can do at Florida State in terms of improving his draft stock. Again, if, if you can convince him, look, you know, we, we, started, a, we started something with your shot, and, and we're midway through that process, and we can get it up and running by this time next year, then, then maybe you can convince him to stay. But otherwise... Uh, and again, you're, you're, and the other thing is, from a mentality standpoint, you're, you're talking about a guy who probably, when he was getting out of high school, planned on being in college for one year. Uh, now you're talking about potentially being in college for three years. Uh, that can be, I think, difficult for some guys who had you know had things mapped out uh, when they were getting ready to, to finish high school and, and figuring out the next years of their lives. So, again, like I said, I think there's a possibility he could stay. I think there's a, a case for him to stay, whether or not it's, it's strong enough to, to convince him to put it off for one more year. I, I don't know that you would, uh, you'd would you feel great staking your life on it, but, but the case is there. Well, let's dive deeper into Jonathan Isaac real quick because he is a little bit different individual, uh, maybe more grounded than what you'd think of as a, as a typical lotto pick and a lottery pick. I'm looking at the NBA um, salaries for, for this year. Now, I'm not going to do the math on the, the multiple years, but he's projected right now between five and nine. So if he's the ninth pick, you're looking at 2.6 in year one. If he's the fifth pick, you're looking at 3.8 in year one. And in the scenario where uh, he was, say, a top three pick, you're looking at 4.7 in year one if he came back and moved up there. So you're, you're talking a couple million dollars difference between nine and, say, a top three, if he got to that point. And that's just for one year. So over the life of the contract, it's probably a $10 million difference. He could get an insurance policy, Keith. I mean, it's pretty easy to look at a loss of value, right? If he's projected five to nine and he he tears up his knee and doesn't get picked, he, but, he could But if I'm Jonathan that. Isaac and I'm advising Jonathan Isaac, and this is going to sound like a negative and there's there's some negativity in it, within the Leonard Hamilton system, how much better is a 6'10 wing player going to get? 
other than just a year older, bigger, faster, stronger? Well, I don't know that we know the answer to that because we haven't had a player like Jonathan Isaac with that ability. But, so, but so I'm going to gamble no, you, on being the first one? Well, you can make the case both ways, clearly. But he needs to gain weight. He needs to be more uh, demonstrative in terms of taking the shot. I mean, Jonathan Isaac's not a guy that needs to go four for seven. He's a guy that needs to go nine for 14. You know, he needs the volume because he's that kind of talent. Or go three for 14 and come back the next game and not care. I would just say, and while the money would be, the best money would be that all three are gone, I think X is gone. I think Bacon is gone. I'm not going to put Isaac at 50-50, but I would say in my mind, I see a better chance that maybe he comes back somehow. But again, he's, well, a, he's a guaranteed lottery pick, so you know how, well, and, you can't fault quick, him either way. Well, and real quick, you know, before, uh, before we move on from that, you know, the thing, and, and you mentioned the idea of, of Isaac being more demonstrative and maybe more aggressive, what you can sort of tell him, and, and this true is that if in the situation where where bacon and xavier tam mays are both to leave you'd say look i mean this is your team like next year you wouldn't if you're talking to isaac but you know you're not deferring to anybody uh and so if you want to show guys that you can be the you know the the guy on a team and score you know 20 25 points a game maybe more uh this is your opportunity to do it because uh you know the, all those other guys come back they're you know are all great but if, if jonathan isaac is on that team uh, he's going to be what everything runs through, I think, both offensively and defensively. And so if he wants to spend a season showing scouts and GMs that that's what he's capable of, which I think is the one thing that he you know, he really didn't do this year, one, because he didn't have to, um, and, and two, because I do think to some degree that wasn't his personality coming in, uh, this would be an opportunity to show that that's possible as well. Well, the men aren't going to California, but the ladies are. What's going to happen when they get out there? That's a really good question. Uh, it's uh, it's tough hey, to two, say. You know two times to today. I got really good questions twice We've today. We've been doing this know, show for several years, and Keith finally asked two good questions. Well, you know, you guys are, you guys are stumping me. It's really, I think, hard to predict uh, the, the women's tournament, uh, especially uh, this time of year. And when when they when they go out and play UConn, it gets a little bit easier for just about everybody. Uh, but uh, the one thing that's really kind of stuck out to me uh, in in the, uh, the the Stockton region that Florida State is in. It's just kind of how vulnerable everybody has looked, um, except for Florida State, really. Uh, and even they looked vulnerable in their first game against Western Illinois. But the Florida State's opponent for uh, for the 316 game, Oregon State, struggled to get out of their first round game. Uh, South Carolina, the one seed out there, struggled to get out of their second round game. Uh, really, Florida State's the only team uh, in, in the upper part of that bracket that has uh, that has kind of cruised through the first two rounds. And so I think they're feeling pretty confident. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were to, to beat Oregon State out there. And obviously, you're playing in Stockton, California, which is much closer to Oregon than it is to Florida. But uh, I think they should feel pretty confident going into that one. And then, you know, you're likely going to play. Uh, you're likely going to play against South Carolina in the Elite Eight, a rematch of the Elite Eight from a couple of years ago. Uh, the big difference being that, that Elena Coates, South Carolina's best uh, best player, who had just a huge game against Florida State a couple of years ago. I won't be playing. She's out with a knee injury. So like, it's hard for me to get on the, floor, the the phone here and say, oh, yeah, book book a trip to the Final Four for the Florida State women. Uh, but I do think that given the way the bracket is shaken out and with some injuries to their teams, uh, they have a path and, and maybe a, a clearer path than, than at any point uh, in the program's history. So it really should be uh, compelling to watch and see see just kind of how things shake out because I, I think they have a, a, a pretty nice reasons for optimism heading out there. Well, Tom and I have decided that next Wednesday we're going to do the show at 5.30 a.m. If you kind of know where I'm going with this. I think I might. <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, well, you know, let's, let's at least view it through the lens uh, of that they, they were able to get, of course, we're talking about the Florida State baseball team, were able to get uh, a pretty significant win, I'd say, at this point uh, against Jacksonville because, uh, you know, given the, the week that they had last week, any win would be significant. And then when you – also factor in how that game started against Jacksonville uh, to be able to come back and, and win and, and honestly just have something to feel good about kind of kind of get your juice back so to speak I think is uh, is fairly significant. Um, as for for what in the world led to that, and I I don't, I don't know that I know the answer. Uh, it, it certainly was odd. I don't know that we'd ever seen anything like what happened at, at Virginia Tech, where you know between the the first game and the first half of the second game everything seemed to be humming on all cylinders and then just. Uh, Everything sort of fell apart really quickly. So, uh, to me, getting that win against Jacksonville, I thought, was, was a big deal for the guys in that clubhouse. You can see by the way they celebrated after the game uh, that it was a big deal for them. And so now it's just a question of, of you know, whether or not it carries on. Because 
Look, the unfortunate fact of the matter is you, you were still down seven nothing after an inning to Jacksonville, and, and you, you know you want to break that habit. So now the question is, you know, what 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 is the real thing? Is it, is it the team that fell behind early, or is it the team that rallied late and and you know pulled out what was a, a pretty gutsy win? And you know, we'll see if if this weekend's trip to Notre Dame can tell us that. I suspect that certainly after that, going and playing Florida and Jacksonville next week will be a pretty nice barometer as well uh, to see you know ex- exactly what what the uh, the real Florida State baseball team is. I think we all know what we suspect it is, which is that they're you know a, a pretty good, if not potentially great team, and and, and this is just a rough patch. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. So uh, you know, interesting days ahead for that team. But I think getting a win last night uh, and, and you said getting the, the bad taste out of your mouth and something to feel good about uh, was probably a pretty big deal. Tim, we appreciate your expertise as always. We didn't let you have walk up music, but uh, we're going to have some walk off music for you here in honor. Just of, don't uh, drop the microphone. Yeah, in honor of Sue Semrau's uh, Seminoles. But we'll talk to you again next week. All right, guys. We'll see. You. All right, he is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, don't forget that uh, Myron Roll will join us on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline next segment. Look forward to that conversation. Everybody listening to this program knows Myron. I'll never forget, uh, and and I don't know if we'll talk about this with him or not, but uh, the day he won the Rhodes Scholar, where, of course, he flew in. Well, you and I were were televising the game in Maryland. We were at Maryland. Right. It's basically, and now that I have young kids, I pay attention to this. It's like the Santa tracker on Christmas Eve when you're seeing where Santa is. That night, it was like, where is Myron? And here's the little dotted line. He's coming in. He gets there in the second quarter and go- well. If you remember, we did that graphically. We were we were shooting the game for Sun Sports, and they they built a graphic that because his interview I believe was in Alabama, yeah, and he got a private plane from Alabama that had to fly to Maryland, and they did a little mini. It was kind of haphazard and probably wasn't the highest quality but we did a little graphic and then we had a a camera that showed him arriving at the locker room because it was about halfway through the first quarter haphazard's a good word for our career by the way that's probably true too (laughs) but he's in street clothes runs into the locker room changes into his uniform comes back out it's the end of the first quarter he warms up real quick and then gets into the ball game and it, it it was pretty exciting yeah but anyway we look forward to that conversation with myron now wrapping up what we talked about with tim there uh, we'll see what happens with these basketball guys and who moves on. Florida State has a good class coming in. They've got a good nucleus coming back. But obviously, if Jonathan Isaac or Dwayne Bacon was to stay or Knox was to say, I'm going to go to FSU, let's just, let's just dream. Knox and Isaac are buddies. How about Isaac comes back for another year and he brings in his, his AAU buddy, uh, Kevin Knox, to play ball? Well, I, I saw Tiger McMillan. Remember Tiger McMillan? I, I saw him down in Orlando at the NCAA tournament. And Tiger is, is still pretty close to Kevin, uh, senior, I guess, or right, whatever. And so I told Tiger, it's his responsibility to work on senior to get junior to come in. Tiger said he'd take care of it. I don't know what that means, but he said he'd take care All of it. All right. Well, so the ball is in his court. We'll see. We'll see. Baseball, what happened yesterday, and we didn't, baseball has not gotten its due this year uh, because we've had basketball to talk about, quite frankly, and we really didn't give last night's game its due either. I mean, they were down 7 nothing after one coming off of what they did at Virginia Tech or what they didn't do and a 5.30 a.m. practice. That was, uh, you know, that was jumping out of a plane without a parachute there yesterday, and somehow they found a ripcord in the ninth inning with two strikes and two outs and, and literally maybe saved the yep. season. How, and can one game do that becomes the issue, and, and we won't know that till we get into June, but how, how, how silly are we sometimes with our, with our absolutely unrealistic expectations? You know, Florida State makes it to number one in the country in softball. We expect them to win every ball game. They make it to number one in the country in baseball. Expect them to make it win every ball game. They get to number six in basketball. Can never lose another basketball game. Going to play Alabama. Got to beat Alabama and Atlanta. If you lose to Alabama, then the seventeen football season sucks. Our expectations are I'm just gonna unbelievable. Sometimes just file this away. The word fan 
is short for fanatic, and it applies to every fan base out there. On the baseball side, I wasn't particularly concerned that they lost to Florida and Gulf Coast last week because you were playing without Jackson Luke, you were playing without Drew Mendoza. Those are good teams, competitive games. You win big at game one at Virginia Tech. You're cruising, and then you get a rain delay. And I don't know if they just mentally checked out. Now, now this it's an excuse, but the rain delay cut a, a quality starter out of three or four more innings. You get those three or four more innings without a rain delay, maybe you win that. Again, it was what it was. Point being, there was extenuating circumstances. The other thing I'll say, having been to Virginia Tech, the wind blows out there, and it's like City League softball. You just start hitting pop flies. Now, why one team got to 17 and the other had zero, that's where the panic button uh, came into play. Good good that they won uh, over Jackson. We'll see what what they do in South Bend. All right, Myron Roll will join us when we continue here on the front row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on the Front Row and really pleased to bring Myron Roll to the program. Everybody associated with Florida State and for that matter, if you just follow athletics in general, going to know who Myron Roll is and uh, he played at FSU a Rhodes Scholar and Myron I'm feeling really old because you're about to graduate from med school now and start your residency which is uh, what made headlines last week and we'll talk about that but welcome to the program. Thank you thank you very much for having me. What was that moment like for you on Friday and for those who don't know medical students there's one national match day every spring the the big signing day when everybody finds out exactly what uh residency program they're matched with in the case of myron uh well you i'll let you tell the story what you know what were you hoping for and what was your reaction when you found out where you were headed yeah so you got it right you know match day is a big day for all fourth year medical students we go through about two or three months of interviewing at different hospitals and institutions uh in the specialty that we desire and then we rank uh, our top programs and submit it to a computer program, and then the hospitals and institutions, they rank their top applicants. They submit it independently to a program or to a computer program, and then it matches us using this algorithm that nobody knows, but it matches us, and then you find out on that special day where you'll be spending the next three to seven years of your life. For me, it would be seven years of neurosurgery. I've always wanted to do neurosurgery since I was in fifth grade. I read Ben Carson's book, Gifted Hands, and he planted the seed of uh, neurosurgery in my mind. And once I was done playing ball, I knew that moving on and, and taking out brain tumors and, and clipping aneurysms and helping spinal deformity cases and putting shunts in kids who have hydrocephalus, that was going to be the next move. And uh, so to hear that I ended up at Mass Gen Harvard uh, was a big deal. It was my number one choice. I love the program up there. Harvard obviously has a name brand, but I think more importantly, it's got great uh, a great chairman and great residents uh, who I can learn from, work with, and try to advance the field of neurosurgery forward. And for our uh, listeners that didn't quite pick up on that, I believe that's Dr. Carson, who we know from presidential campaign, and you've developed quite a relationship with him, uh, aside from just picking up that book as a fifth grader. That's correct, yeah. So uh, he's a pediatric neurosurgeon, um, you know, uh, used to trained at and worked at uh, and taught at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, and um, just a special, special man. Um, I had a chance to go to church with him in Silver Springs, Maryland, and spend some, uh, he's a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, we spent some time together. We golfed, uh, we went to Denny's, we we prayed, we went to church together. Uh, He became a mentor to me, him and his wife, Candy, Um, just special people. In fact, Dr. Carson wrote me a letter of recommendation for this neurosurgery residency application process. And I deferred my ability to read the letter because it would make it stronger in the eyes of the different institutions. But all of the people who interviewed me said that he had great things to say about me. He thinks I'm the future of neurosurgery. He thinks the world of me. So it just was really, really nice to hear uh, good words from somebody who you've had as uh, your, your hero for a long time. Well, Myron, you may not recognize this, so I'll be the first to tell you. You and I are now related. We are related. We are right. related. Now, we both played safety at Florida State. I played for Jack Stanton and Coach Bowden. You played for Mickey and, right. and Coach Bowden. Uh, but I graduated from Wildwood High School. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and your brother is now the new head football coach at Wildwood Middle High School, as they call it now. And yeah. uh, we're related, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's excited about that job, but that's cool. I didn't know that. Yep, didn't know there that. you go. There you go. It's a small world. <laughs> <laughs> Keith tries to bring Wildwood into the conversation. By the way, tell, <laughs> tell McKinley there's only one D in Wildwood. If you pronounce it Wildwood, Keith will correct you. And yeah, he's it's from pronounced there. W-I-L-E-W-O-O-D <laughs> if, you're, if you're from there. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. Hey, let, let me ask you, I, I want to go back to this, uh, your residency, because most residency, residency programs are three years, I believe, and you mentioned that your program is seven years. Now, uh, for those who don't know, and, and especially if you're going into neurosurgery, I guess we'd appreciate this, but this is not work a 40-hour work week and take five weeks of vacation a year. I mean, this is seven years of, what, 70, 80, 90 hours a week to get to the end goal, which is when you would start your practice as a neurosurgeon? That's correct. Yeah, it's, it's a grind, no question. And uh, it's reduced now to 80 hours. Back in the day... When I talk to my uh, attending, they say that, you know, Myron, they used to work 120 hours a week, you know, and, and it was unbelievable. But they put some restrictions on it, uh, 80 hours, and, you know, the 80 hours is, is soft because if you are reaching 80 hours and then you have a patient that you've been following all day, you just you don't want to leave that patient and try to hand it off to your co-resident. You kind of want to stay and see that through. So it's tough. Um, when talking to other residents, they say, you know, you just put your head down, you work hard, you learn to be a good physician and you take care of patients and you get the technical skills of the craft of neurosurgery down. You do some research to try to advance the field of neurosurgery forward as uh, what MassGen and Harvard tries to do. Uh, but by the time you look up, you know, your seven years are done. You know, I went through medical school in four years and I felt like I just started yesterday. So, you know, it's something I'm passionate about. I'm excited about it. And I think having the opportunity to heal people and to treat people uh, that's going to make it, you know, fun and fulfilling for sure. Well, it's the age-old thing. If you're doing something you're passionate about, it's not a day's work. It's it's a day's endeavor. Uh, I think it's interesting too, Myron. I'd be interested in your comments. Uh, having played football and the, this whole issue of concussions and CTE and and that type of thing, and then neurosurgery, you've got a unique opportunity to combine two worlds that you may have a better understanding about than than maybe anybody else does. Oh yes, certainly. I am. I'm. I'm thrilled and excited at the opportunity to uh, walk into uh, the concussion discussion and uh, really try to add a credible voice to it, and not just a voice, as we said, as an athlete, but maybe as somebody who knows the science behind or the pathophysiology behind concussions, why they occur. I had a chance to spend some time with the NCAA and the Department of Defense, and they have done sort of a concussion consortium and bringing different specialties in to try to discuss concussions. Uh, they've brought neurologists in to talk about the pathophysiology. They've brought neurosurgeons in to talk about subtyping concussions based on the symptoms. Is it ocular motor? Is it cognitive? Is it anxiety, depression? Is it migraines? You know, once you can subtype concussions, you can have better targeted therapy. So that's one way they're working on it. Physicists are looking at the linear and rotational movements of the head and neck, looking at how NASCAR drivers are kind of, you know, in place with their head, but, you know, you really can't do that practically with football players, but they're thinking about these things. And then there's social psychologists who are looking at, you know, the failure to report. You have these players, student athletes, or even professional athletes, who don't want to buck the system, the culture of being mocked, sticking it out. And, you know, uh, if, if, if a player says to themselves, look, I'm off my baseline, and I'm, I have these subacute symptoms. I'm going to take myself out of the game. Uh, then, you know, I, I think you can you can have better outcomes long term. So, I'm looking forward to, like I said, you know, studying it, um, adding a voice to it as a former athlete and now as a medical professional. Um, it, it's it's something I think is important because the game of football has given me so much and given my teammates so much uh, that I hope that it stays around and we preserve it. But I hope we make it safer. 
I'm curious, Myron, uh, you know, you went to Florida State for your undergrad, obviously. The, the College of Medicine at FSU, which is fairly new, and I don't want to digress too much uh, for those who aren't aware, but it's it's non-traditional in its approach and that it's not tied to a research hospital, and that sort of turned the medical community on its head originally, but now uh, it's proven to be highly successful. But more to the point with you, its specialty is primary care, and uh, I'm sure there were other opportunities or other programs that you could have considered knowing that you wanted to go into neurosurgery. So why did you choose FSU? FSU, given that you obviously were aware of that at the time. Certainly. So when I came to Florida State as a high school senior out of New Jersey, um, I met with Dr. Littles, the dean of the medical school. I met with uh, David Castillo. Uh, I met with, you know, obviously a former Florida State Center and uh, now a practicing physician in Tallahassee, Florida. I, I met with medical students and other personnel there at the med school because, you know, I had this plan long term. I told Coach Andrews, Coach Lilly, Coach Bowden, uh, that I wanted to play, graduate in three years, under three years. I wanted to have an opportunity to play in the NFL, be a Rhodes Scholar, and go to medical school. Uh, and then once all of those things kind of happened, and I finished out my NFL career and exhausted my athletic ability, I looked at where I had social capital, and it's Tallahassee, it's the state of Florida, it's Florida State. I looked at where I wanted to practice once I was done, wherever I did my residency, whether I did my residency in Toronto, Canada, or Seattle, Washington. I was. I always want to come back to Florida. Um, I'm close. It's close to home. Being close to the Bahamas, my parents live down here now, so that mattered to me. So uh, I just felt like Florida State has been has done so much for me as a young man. It uh, it made me a better leader. It made me a better Christian. It made me a better football player. Clearly, it's given me so much uh, that yeah, I had offers to go to Ivy League schools for medical school, but I said you know. I'm going to go to Florida State because this place means that much to me, garnering gold in me. And uh, it's going to be a, a more difficult route, a more arduous route to get to a specialty like neurosurgery because our medical school is focused on primary care, but it's not impossible. And hopefully other people who have seen me go through, through this path and go to an Ivy League neurosurgery residency program, they can say, well, I can go primary care if I want to, like Florida State is, is known for, or I can go to this highly specialized um, discipline like neurosurgery at an Ivy League program like Myron did, and that's uh, that's exciting for me. Myron, take us through the next couple of three months. What's your schedule like, and, and, and when do we lose you? <laughs> well, graduation uh, at the FSU College of Medicine is May 20th. Uh, then, you know, I can officially be called uh, Dr. Roll, but Myron to both of you guys, because I've known you for a while. And uh, then June 15th is the official start date uh, at Harvard, and uh, so I I probably move up maybe two weeks earlier than that. So, so I get to Boston probably early June and then start residency June 15th. And Tom, Keith, I don't think you'll be hearing from me for the next seven years. Uh, I'll have my head up in seven years and then say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm here. Uh, I made it. I made it through. But it's, uh, I'm excited. It's going to be a good journey. Um, I also plan on going to the Bahamas and just hanging out with my family on the beach a little bit, soak up some sun before I get to the cold of Boston and uh, you know, just enjoy myself a little bit. Well, the way the schedule works, Myron, FSU plays at Boston College every other year, starting this year, as you know. So oh, yeah, talk, talk, talk to your superiors and see if you can get four <laughs> days off in the next seven years under those football games. <laughs> there we go. There we go. That'd be good. Hey, Myron, you, you said that uh, Florida State's done a lot for you. You've done a lot for Florida State, obviously, and uh, we thank you for that and and wish you the best of luck. And, and let me echo that. Uh, I had the privilege, uh, Myron, well before your time of playing with a gentleman by the name of Scott Warren, uh, who was my roommate and a uh, very good personal friend who uh, went through the old PIMS program at Florida State and then went to the University of Florida. He's now a practicing dermatology surgeon, dermatological surgeon over in Jacksonville. And you and Scotty and David and Joe Camps, who was before us, uh, you guys represent what student athletes are about, and particularly as you go into medicine. And uh, I could not be more proud of and for you as a former letter winner at Florida State. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. That means a lot. Thank you, guys. All righty, best of luck to you, Myron Roll. We'll talk to him again in seven years and catch up with how he's doing. We make light, uh, I guess, because we can, but Myron has always been that way. And uh, I, I'll tell you, uh, 
well, there's there's usually there's not a short way for me to tell the story. But I met Myron. I, if memory serves, he uh, enrolled early. But whenever he arrived at FSU, it was obviously a big deal. We knew he was extremely. He was talented, a five star recruit coming in, talented athletically and academically. And I remember I was working in university communications. We shot a little video with him. And if you watch the nightly news, there's always sort of this stale video. They call it the VO, the voiceover part. And, uh, you know, it's a guy sitting at his desk in his office or walking down a hallway because you need to show something before you get to the soundbite. So in Myron's case, we had him pull out some books. Just act like you're reading the books here and we'll shoot some video of it. But the thing was, he pulled out his chemistry book and he dove right in and was engrossed, wasn't paying attention at all to us because he was reading the book from cover to cover while we're shooting this, which was just kind of a fake mock act like you're reading this so anyway point being he you could tell right away he was cut from a different cloth and uh, his career has been tremendous uh, already and i wish him the best of luck he, he he is truly an ambassador for florida state athletics and florida state university we will uh, come back and wrap things up i'll remind you on the way out though that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished go visit ron and his knowledgeable staff at cornerstone tool and faster to get all your power tool needs two locations to choose from 1110 stuckey avenue and 3269 crawfordville highway Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. Some final thoughts right after this. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. I'm going to wrap things up. I don't know about you, KJ, but the biggest takeaway for me from that interview is that Myron said we can still call him Myron even after he's officially I'm, a doctor. I'm, I'm probably going to call him Dr. Roll. Yeah, I probably Just it makes me look better. Yeah, he, he, he's <laughs> I know Dr. Roll. He, he certainly earned it. Uh, speaking of former Florida State football players, uh, Pro Day is coming up on uh, Tuesday. You and I will have a chance to broadcast that for ACC Network Extra. Uh, it's it's the Underwear Olympics is the combine, so this is the... Uh, do, we, this, do we wear clothes or do we... No, we do. Okay, just check. We do, though we're not on camera, so you wouldn't tune in one way or the other for that. Uh, but Rod Johnson is going to be working out, former offensive line. And, and I saw uh, yesterday, the day before, that uh, he's raising money for, for Fanconi Anemia via FSU's chapter of Uplifting Athletes. And he's asked people to uh, pledge an amount per rep on his bench press because he will bench like all the players will. He's shooting for 20. So bear that in mind uh, as you set your pledge. And the easiest way to do this is to go to pledgeit.org and just search Rod Johnson. That's the shortest URL I could provide over the air. But uh, good good uh, gesture on Rod's part. All right. Let's go back to Myron. T- tell him about him getting into the locker room in Maryland. Oh, so we talked about that before we had him on that night. Well, what was so is this big deal? You fly this plane in, everybody's following Myron, you know, and the media can be like sheep. We're just we're just following around. So 30 media members, ESPN cameras, everybody follows him into the locker room. What's he going to do in the locker room? He's going to get dressed. So now there's like 30 <laughs> media members standing there watching Myron get dressed. And I was like, I think I'm going to go back. And w- it was in the second quarter of yeah, the game. Yeah. I think I'll go back to the sideline and keep watching the game. I don't really need to be here for this. I'll know when he's out here. <laughs> and the way Maryland is set up, uh, if you recall, not that we go there anymore since they're in the Big Ten, uh, the visiting fan section is right by the locker room there. So when Myron came out, the FSU folks there, I mean, it was obvious that uh, he had arrived ready right. for duty. That's a great story, though. I mean, congrats to Myron. Uh, he's going to Harvard. He's going to ask for four days off over the next seven years so we can see him in Chestnut Hill when the Knowles play BC. And, and I would I would look forward and welcome the opportunity to do just that. All right, folks. I, I don't know if you feel any better, but basketball is in the rearview mirror, except on the women's side. So good luck to Sue and the Seminoles. Uh, we'll turn our attention a little bit more to baseball and that number one ranked softball team in coming weeks. One Spring more practice. So, yeah, we haven't even talked football either. That's How about going that? On. It's amazing. We need more than an hour. We need more than an hour. I'll talk to somebody. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week.